talk about films within the confines of a particular theme that changes from episode to episode. Uh, I'm Joe Gastineau, and sitting opposite me is a Mighty Fine Blogs, uh, Edwin Davis. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Oh, uh, before I should say, uh, that our esteemed colleague, Adam Batty, is uh, too busy to join us, uh, so I'll be catching up with him and uh, maybe another guest later, because uh, I think he's lording it up uh, on a film festival jury of some kind. Um, but yeah, like I say, we'll catch up with him later. Uh, not this bitter at all, are we? No, I'm not bitter at all. Uh, sounds like it's rubbish, uh, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, yeah, this week's theme is uh, the future. So we'll be talking about events happening in the future, depictions of the future in films, and also getting deep and talking about the future of film itself later on in the show. Um, it is rather appropriate that I have Ed with me at the minute uh, because he's been to the US for the festive period and got a little glimpse into the future of film uh, by spying a few films that are not out yet. Um, So, Ed, can you tell us uh, what you saw and what you thought of it? I saw Young Adult, which is the new film by Jason Reitman. Um, who did last film was up in the air. Up, up in the air. I have to say, I was. Uh, everyone seemed to really like it, but I was completely underwhelmed mm. by uh, up in the air. I don't, don't know how you felt about it. Cause I really uh, like Juno. Mm. I really like Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. Um, although, again, for both films, maybe not as much as other people like them. But uh, up in the air really felt like a bit fortune cookie to me. Mm. I think up in the air, as you know, Jason Reitman's career kind of goes on as he makes more films will kind of be seeing him as something of a linchpin film for him because right. you know the second half of up in the air where it's all about you know george clooney and that one what's vera farming vera farming where they kind of like go back to his hometown and it's quite it, it kind of becomes a bit more raw and less kind of um clipped as mm-hmm. the first part of it um is kind of what young adult is all the way through it's it's kind of his most Edgy's the wrong word, but it feels less polished than the rest of his, but more emotionally true in some ways. It's and it's he's returned to working with Diablo Cody on that, yep. I think. Yep, and her script is very good. It's less um, quip-heavy than a lot of their stuff, but it's very it's very emotionally honest. It's all about... Uh, Shelley Theron plays a uh, an author of young adult novels who has kind of settled into a, a deep depression and she can't write, and she's got to write the last edition of this series that she spent you know however many years writing and, and, and earned a fair bit of money mm-hmm. and um, she gets an email with a picture of the newborn child of her ex from high school and um, she thinks she kind of gets into her head that this is a message from him saying that she he's not happy and so she returns to the hometown essentially to steal him away from his wife right um and when she's there she meets Patton Oswalt who's this like uh, I do love Patton Oswalt he's very good in it he's the he's this kid who was kind of shockingly a nerd wow. in, um, I can't see that that's can't miscast see that. that's miscast yeah. um in high school who was um badly beaten uh because everyone assumed he was gay right and that they kind of form an unlikely friendship, both because they they both got a quite curdled view of the world right. through their various experiences, and they're quite mean, quite um, dark and unlikable people. Mm-hmm. But the film's told entirely from their perspective, which is quite interesting, especially because you know Patrick Wilson, who plays the the ex boyfriend, is just shown to be quite a decent guy who's just trying to uh, get along for life. And it's a really, 
I, I found it to be very affecting and, and to be a very interesting development for Jason Reitman. I think he said in the past that he really wants to be Alexander Payne. Right. That's essentially... That's it. what Up in the Air felt, felt like it was striving to yeah. be. Yeah. I think this gets closer to that mark okay. than Up in the Air did. Um, I don't think it's it's up there with, you know, about Schmidt or, or Election, you know, in terms of comparisons to Alexander Payne, but mm-hmm. I think it's the first one of those of his films that indicates that he could achieve that level. But he's still quite young, isn't he? Well, yeah, he's only in his 30s. Uh, he's Alexander very young. Payne must be 10 years older, at mm. least. Um, and uh, I'm excited to hear about the next film we've seen, because you mentioned to me beforehand... Um, Tell us, what did you see as your last film? It was The Muppets. Wow. I'm well looking forward to that. It's great. Is it <laughs> it's really terrific. Uh, James Bobin, is it, who did James uh, Bobin. co-creator of Flight of the Concords? Yep, co-creator of Flight of the Concords. I think he also directed um, some of the Ali G show and things like that. His basis is in uh, is in comedy television, and uh, he brings a certain quick uh, pacing to it uh, right. very nicely. It's got a very, very funny script by Nick Stoller and Jason Siegel, who um, clearly have a deep affection and connection to the subject matter to the Muppets. Jason mm-hmm. Siegel particularly, you know, this has been his dream for pretty much his whole life to make a film with the Muppets and um it's interesting cuz th- th- this kind of the gag, one of the gags of the film is that Jason Siegel has a brother who is a Muppet. Right. <laughs> and okay. it's not at no point in the film do they say that he's adopted or anything like you're just to assume that he just go with it. his brother is a Muppet right. and um, the opening is a sequence in which the character Walter as his name is talk is is narrating about you know growing up and being sort of the odd one out because he never he never grew taller right. <laughs> he never <laughs> he never kind of became an adult in the way that uh, Jason Siegel grows up to be one and um, he talks about you know watching the Muppets on television and how that kind of gave him uh, a place to belong in some way you know he, he felt what, like he wasn't alone and you kind of feel that that's fairly autobiographical as far as Jason Siegel's concerned that you know growing up they were kind of this this thing that was a huge hugely comforting and the film is you know his tribute to them in a lot of ways you know mm-hmm. it's very there's a very uh, loving approach to the material you know that they stage things like there's a big musical number where they sing Rainbow Connection which is a big song from the original Muppet movie right? Uh, which is done completely you know straight faced it's not trying to be ironic or kitsch or anything like that it, clear, it clearly does love that material and um, the film in general just has that feel to it but it's also it doesn't feel like uh, it doesn't feel academic it doesn't feel like it's just for people who like the Muppets it's just it's just a really fun film mm. and it, it does this nice twist where it's all about how irrelevant the Muppets have become because their theatre's closed down and it's about to be sold to a Texas oilman played by uh, Chris Cooper brilliant whose name is Tex Richmond like it um, he only raps oh. he has a rap number yeah Chris Cooper Texas billionaire rap yeah it's everything you could want and more. Yeah. Uh, with the, the rap by uh, Brett McKenzie, who does a lot of the original songs as well. Yes, I heard he was kind of musical director or something. He's actually... Is he in the show? He isn't in it, no. He, uh, if he is, I didn't see it. Not it does it. have um, Feist okay, yeah. and uh, Mickey Rooney wow. in, in the same scene, <laughs> which no film in as far history as could claim. No. Does he play a kind of really crude Japanese stereotype? Um, he's not in it for long enough, oh. but he could have been. Oh, well, could, it could easily. It probably been. would have gone that way. It would have developed if it had been an improv piece. Yeah. Um, but uh, when's that out here? Um, I think that's out on the 12th of February. It's early February, that, and, and um, young adults out around the same time. Whilst we're on the subject of films we're looking uh, forward to, we've been compiling a little bit of, well, 
My list is relatively short. Ed's mm. is kind of uh, pretty long. There's a few big 3D re-releases this year. Um, 3D re-releases? Yep. We've got um, The Phantom Menace. Oh, great. So, you know, Jar Jar in 3D. See if it's shit in all three dimensions. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, the only way to make it worse is to is colour loss. Although, <laughs> the first time I watched The Phantom Menace was on a pirate VHS, and it was dark, you couldn't see anything, I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I saw it in the cinema. Yeah, it's wow. like, that's what Jar Jar looks like? It's Christ. Bad, it? yeah. So, I imagine they're doing that to open up to release all of them in... Yeah, in they're going to release them ev- once every year. Uh, one a year oh. for the next six years. Great. The one <laughs> depressing thing is, is that Phantom Menace is widely ridiculed, but yeah. still, I reckon that'll do all right. I reckon you're looking at similar performance to what the Lion King 3D did last year, which was, it's not, it didn't do as well as it did the first time it was out, but for what is essentially found money, because yeah. you know, it's the the post production process is hardly the same as spending, you know, hundred million dollars whatever making a film. Um, but I am quite looking forward on that front. I'm quite looking forward to Beauty and the Beast in 3D. Right, I and that was was that was that the first Disney film to actually have three uh, digital animation, in it, so yeah. that worked quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I will see it in 3D, but I'll definitely see it in the cinema because I think, as I said on uh, the pilot for this mm. show, uh, that was the first film I saw in the cinema when right. I was uh, when I was four or five. I've never seen it. Really? Yeah, it's very good. Uh, the next film I've got is uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, mm. which is uh, a film which I seem to have been waiting ages for because it was a big hit at Sundance last year, got picked up immediately, so I assumed we would have seen it in mm. the UK by now. I think it's out uh, this month or next. Um, and, yeah, it's a kind of uh, story of a girl who escapes a cult, I think, and yeah. has to try and... Uh, did you Have you seen it? Cause I, I haven't had a chance to, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, John Hawkes, which, you know, some one of those people who is scientifically excellent mm-hmm. in everything he does. Um, and yeah, I really that really caught my attention out of all the stuff that was on at Sundance. Yeah, and um, you know, just wish they'd hurry up and release it. Yeah, I think it's very much this year's Winter's Bone in the yes, both because they feature John Hawkes and also <laughs> because they're um, you know uh, small, low budget, powerful from what I hear dramas about um, young young girls in America having troubles. Yeah, and it, um, doesn't it star the third Olsen sister? Yes, uh, the good one, the one the they've gu- been keeping hidden. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hear that she's uh, Oscar baiting, uh, which is we're going to get a lot of that, aren't we? In the next uh, couple of months, just before, yeah. well, this month and the start of next, we're going to get a lot of Oscar baiting uh, films that have been released in America to catch in on that kind of award season mm. vibe. I imagine Young Adult was around for that very reason. Yeah, um, and I think it's kind of a shame, really, because it it seems to have gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit because right. it came out right before a lot of the uh, the big heavy hitters like the, dis- like the Descendants like you know the artists and stuff like that so it got in ahead of them but the risk sometimes with that is that if you don't if the film doesn't have enough steam going at the beginning then everything else just kind of runs right over it and that's kind of what happened I think Charlize Theron's got a good chance for an Oscar nomination right and I would dearly love to see Patton Oswalt get an Oscar nomination that'd be great wouldn't it that'd be so strange um, it would be odd it's, um, it's uh, up there with Trent Reznor being an Oscar winner for unlikely events in Oscar hits history. Yeah, Trent Reznor, Eminem, and uh, oh, Lionel, yeah. Lionel Richie is an Oscar winner. Is he? Yeah. Phil wow. Collins, Oscar winner. Yep. Alfred Hitchcock didn't win an Oscar, but no. Phil Collins did. See, I thought that Peter Gabriel should have won one for Wally because then it would really put pressure on <laughs> the third guy from Genesis. <laughs> Who I can't remember the name of. No, no one can. No. Um, what else do you have on your list? One I'm really looking forward to is um, Kogan's Trade. Uh, 
which uh, is um, a, a new Andrew Dominic a film. new Andrew Dominic film with Brad Pitt as a point man for a hitman. So he's the guy who goes into the town and makes things uh, clear for a hit to occur, investigating the um, money that's been stolen from the mob. And, you know, I think you know Andrew Dominic's got a pretty flawless track record so far. He's got Chopper and the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which yes. you have to say the whole title of. Um, a pretty flawless track record mm. with those two films. Yeah. Um, and it has been a while and since. It's only been five years between these two, as opposed to seven years well. between uh, Cho- uh, Chopper and that long film. That one. <laughs> um, that's because it takes so long to say. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got Michael on my list, uh, the Austrian film that uh, caused a bit of a hoo ha at Cannes last year. It's a uh, paedophile abduction drama told from the paedophile's point of view. Right. And um, uh, some people were saying it was a bold, brave, very difficult watch in in the mould of kind of funny games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other people said, uh, ban this sick film. Uh, what I, I think someone said, and this is that quote that I found when I was looking up about it, uh, what is wrong with Austrian people? <laughs> <laughs> which was, uh, which was uh, I, yeah, I mean, I kind of said in the preview that I wrote you know, on my blog that if nothing else, it's a good opportunity to watch the Daily Mail froth at the mail. Oh yeah, um, but that's out in February, I think. Um, Look out for that one. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? Um, I think mine gears more towards the uh, the big budget. Uh, what possibly the first massive flop of the year, John Carter. Oh, John Carter of Mars. Is yeah. that What it used to be called, or what it, it used, used to be called? That they sadly also they didn't go for the title of the book it's based on, which is John Carter, Princess of Mars. So why do you think it's going to be the first flop? I know it's had a troubled production. It's had history. a troubled production, and it just everything about it just looks so shit. Not sh- not shit, but just it's got that feel of a film that's really just kind of run away with itself. You know, it feels like too much money's been thrown at it. Too much. Uh, there's too many good people involved in it for it to be genuinely good in a way. You know how sometimes you get those films where there's kind of like an overload of talent. You know, Taylor mm. Kitsch is a very you know from. I I love his work in Friday Night Lights. You know he's a very talented actor, but from the trailer it just looks like they're having him in sort of stoic hero mode, which is you know not really what he does. He's very good at uh, troubled bad boy. Andrew Stanton, the director of Wall-E and, and uh, Finding Nemo, yeah. you know, which is also getting a 3D re-release this year. So there'll be some good news for him at least. Yeah. Um, you know, and then people like Willem Dafoe's in it, and wow. you know as as a as an alien, but it just looks it just looks like those sort of one of those films. Which is just going to be a bit too eerie for everyone in terms of you know the the stop motion, not stop motion, um, motion capture kind of stuff, and just those sort of really overblown sci-fi epics. Right. Unless they're Star Wars, they so it's usually kind of like the Red Planet, uh, yeah. Heaven's Gate. Yeah, it just looks saying. like and and you know there was that that whole thing of the reason why they changed it from John Carter of Mars to John Carter was because Mars Need Moms flopped, and they Bombs. think there's something with uh, Mars in the title can't succeed so I think they should have called it John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars Needs yeah. Moms <laughs> <laughs> that would have linked three terrible films yeah. set on Mars all together exactly uh, kind of touching again on the 3D uh, talk uh, Great Gatsby 3D yes um, that's at the end of the year isn't it yeah which um, I'm not sure how I feel about uh, in a way uh, I think I mean I, yeah, you got to love the book because it's one of the best books ever written mm. but um, really <laughs> um, but I mean, the thing is that stands in its favour is the the cast is very good. Yeah. The casting as well is very good, um, and uh, the director badly needs a hit <laughs> <laughs> because Australia. Uh, Baz Luhrmann is the director, by the way, and uh, Australia was a quite an expensive failure, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I think it's one of those ones that it, it just about broke even worldwide. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. then with marketing on top, it probably lost. Yeah, it probably lost a fair bit of money. Yeah. I liked Australia as a tribute to things like um, Red River and like old westerns and things like that. It's, there's a very and and old Hollywood, but uh, it's not not necessarily a very good film. <laughs> it's, right. It's, if for someone who kind of knows all the things he's referencing, it's kind of a treat to kind of see these things all kind of colliding into each other. Yeah. But it's not a wholly satisfying work, and it's very long. Uh, what else do you have on that, that uh, huge I was just, list? I was just looking at, because um, uh, that's in December, The Great Gatsby. Yeah. December this year is a clusterfuck. Right. It's, just, <laughs> it's just insane. We've got Les Mis, which is being directed by Tom Hooper, and oh. we'll finally have Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe singing together. Excellent. Finally. The right. one thing we've all been waiting for. It's got The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. It's got Life of What's Pi. What's I believe it's like it's a remake of Only Dwarves Started Short, even Dwarves Started Small. <laughs> well, I'm ge- I'm jesting, of course, because I know exactly what the Hobbit is. Um, are you looking forward to that? I am looking forward to the Hobbit. I'm I really really do like the Lord of the Rings films, and I think, although I would have preferred to have seen what Guillermo del Toro was going to do with it, because yeah, you know, I love him. I love uh, Guillermo del Toro. What I've seen so far looks very good. I like the um, the production diaries they've been putting up make it seem like they're everyone's really committed and it is a labour of love as well as you know a guaranteed blood smash <laughs> yeah. which Peter Jackson is kind of in need of following uh, the lovely bones although yeah. he's had a, a fairly good run as a producer with things like District 9 and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Tintin yeah um, but uh, I always felt that the, as a book The Hobbit was much better than Lord of the Rings it was uh, more concise mo- it was more of an, a fun adventure mm. um, and I'm slightly disappointed they broke it over into two films yeah I and think they're padding it out aren't they they are padding it out with you know extra stuff that you never saw but which is in things like The Silmarillion which you know no one bothers to read yeah um, but you know I think that's that'd be quite interesting I do want I do look forward to spending time with you know uh some of those characters, some of the returning characters, but you know, getting it to meet the new ones. It does look like an absolute mess, though, with the sheer number of dwarves they've got to introduce. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, after a while we'll stop wondering which one's which. Yeah, I think. What else do we have in December? Life of Pi. Uh, that's taken age. Is that it's still M. Night Shyamalan? No, it's Ang Lee now. Oh, right, okay. Uh, you wouldn't like me when <laughs> I'm Ang Lee. To quote an old Stuart Lee routine. <laughs> wow. Um, that, yeah, that one's. Uh, coming out in um, in December so finally after passing through many hands um, uh, this is 40 which is the new Judd Apatow film a new directed because obviously he has many other films out over the course of the year how did you feel about Bridesmaids I really enjoyed Bridesmaids I thought it was good it was on my top 20 um, I really liked it but do you know what ruined it for me what um, I really hate now that like any comedy DVD uh, is released with extra bits in and it really ruins the pacing and also oh, yeah. ruins some of the gags because it stretches them out. Yeah, yeah. So Bridesmaids felt five minutes too long. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they added the five minutes, took the five minutes out for length and, and so it wasn't, so if you if you don't catch it in the cinema, you just get a quite soggy version, mm. a kind of flabby uh, comedy and I enjoyed it much less than I think if I'd have seen it in the cinema. Is that it for December? Uh, Is no, there more? there's two more. There's two big ones. World War Z. World uh, War Z. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for that. No, I'm not either, especially because they seem to have changed it from being what the book is, which is about someone recounting the end of, uh, recounting, you know, a zombie apocalypse, essentially, and, you know, people managing to survive mm-hmm. in a way which is very entertaining and, and well written into about 
someone trying to stop a zombie apocalypse. Essentially making it every zombie film ever, as opposed to a deconstruction yeah. of every zombie film ever. Because uh, I've got a thing about zombie films. I think that since Dawn of the Dead in 1978, yeah. the zombie film has had nothing to say whatsoever. Mm. Every, every zombie film since then, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, has just been about how many ways you can kill a zombie. Taken yeah. to the extreme of Zombieland, which basically makes a film about... Ways of killing death by, but death by banjo, yeah, uh, all that kind of thing. Like Romero's films have just been terrible, uh, yeah. and I'm including Dare the Dead in that. I quite like. Uh, uh, it's got a talking zombie in it. It has. Yeah, but I've got on my list uh, the film Alps. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this film? No. It is the follow-up film from I think the guys. I'm. I'm going to apologise to the director of Alps and the Greek people in general for mispronouncing his name. But I think his name is Yorgos Lanthimos, who made Dogtooth. Oh yes. Uh, he has followed up. Uh, did you see Dogtooth? I did. Very, very, good. very good, very strange. Uh, well, this next film is Odder. It's about a uh, actor's agency, and uh, all the actors on the books are hired specifically to play their clients' dead relatives. So you'll have characters in the film, I'm assuming, whose uh, brother, sister, father will die, mm. and they hire a lookalike actor to go in and be that person to relive their memories. Wow. <laughs> That sounds great. And apparently it's it's just as caustic and just as dark as Dogtooth. Oh. So I'm very much looking forward to that film. Yeah, I think me, that, that me too, now I know it exists. Yeah, well, yeah. And that's it, there's been very little fanfare about it. I think it got a few festival screenings last year, but uh, I'm not really sure when it's out. Um, uh, what else have you got? Um, there's a couple of... I'll just go through the, the big, 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 big films, the big franchise ones. Oh, um, we'll just rattle through them. Yeah, uh, you've got the the Dark Knight Rises. Boring. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, I think it'll be good, but mm. yeah, whatever. It's got a lot to live up to, really. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man, which I'm not not got massive hopes for. Yeah. Despite the uh, how apropos um, Mark Webb's name is for the directing Spider-Man. Absolutely. I do feel that's the only reason he got the job. Yeah. Uh, the Avengers, which the um, remake of the uh, Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Uh, they've got um, Robert Downey Jr. as an appeal. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, now the Avengers is, has been coming for a long time. I did see yeah. someone put a tweet that they said that at the end of The Iron Lady um, Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson turns up and tries to recruit Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Um, oh, man. Uh, but yes, uh, The Avengers, um, I, I don't think I could care less. Um, my, I've, I'm very, very not um, as my uh, as it's no secret I don't really like superhero films mm. and so all the superheroes in one film where I think they're really going to struggle to balance all of those yeah. characters out I'm hopeful mainly for Josh Whedon because he is he has, what, what, did he has he done anything since uh, Serenity not film wise but he's been heavily involved in writing comics he did um, the Dollhouse TV series which um, struggled to two seasons and right, <laughs> died yeah. Um, so he, he has been very, very busy. He did uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, and he has done a, um, apparently, secretly filmed a new version of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, it, it just in his flat. Yeah, yeah. I read about that. It should which, be quite interesting. Which should be quite interesting. Um, I, you know, I think his, because he's got such a strong back um, background in comics, you know, he's written a lot of Marvel stuff, and his stuff tends to be very good. He's written a lot of X-Men comics, and mm-hmm. he, always, he always manages to balance the characters very well. You know, I think the main problem you have when you try and do live action is actors' egos and whether or not people, it, whether or not people are willing to set their egos aside for the story, or whether or not you know it becomes Iron Man and friends, yeah. which essentially seems what it might be. That's where it's weighted towards, isn't it? I don't think, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're not really going to push it based on you know Thor or Captain America, you know. Um, so I think I think there's there's a lot of potential in it, and I do you know I, as a fan of Joss Whedon's work, I do want it to be good. But you know, th- th- there's part of me that just thinks you know it's got such build up, it can't help but disappoint. Yeah. But it'll make a shitload of money. Uh, Grandmasters, the uh, new Wong Kar Wai film. Oh, uh, about Ip Man. Yes, um, and. Uh, I think Wong Kar Wai is a bit like Baz Lemon. He kind of needs... He hasn't got anything to prove, mm. but his last film was shit. That's all I can say about my booby my my, my nights. My booby nights. My booby nights. <laughs> my blueberry nights. That was a, that was a dreadful film. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I don't know... Uh, this is really me just speculating. It did seem a little bit like he was just trying to make a, an American film mm. at all costs. It wasn't good, was it? No, I think it was kind of... Because he, he's wanted, or he's been attached to direct a remake of The Lady of Shanghai, the Orson Welles film, for a really long time. Wow, that'd and be good. Yeah, it would. But I think he just couldn't get he just couldn't get off the ground, so it was kind of like, you know, he'd, he'd make a film that might, might conceivably be a hit, but... Uh, why Blueberry Nights wasn't, and it wasn't successful as on an artistic or commercial level. But yeah, he's returning to much more familiar territory, mm. acting with. Uh, sorry, who's the guy from Twenty Forty Six and Tony Lung? Tony Young, yeah, he's playing the lead. I think so. Oh, he's on much great. more, much more familiar territory. Probably the coolest man alive. Uh, Tony he's Lung, probably up there. You just see him smoking a cigarette in in the mood for love or uh, Chunking Express, and it's just you know. Just perfect. That is what cool is in a yeah. man. I mean, that's it is a key film, really, because I mean, Wong Kar Wai is probably one of the '90s slash 2000s key directors, mm. and for him to have a film out, I think is very exciting. Yeah, I've got um, on my list. Uh, it's the last one on my list, but obviously we can still talk about mm-hmm. more. Uh, is Looper? Ah, oh, that's on mine. Um, the uh, Ryan Johnson film. For those who don't know, Ryan Johnson made a very, 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 very good debut with uh, the film Brick, and he also, then he made an absolutely baffling mess of a second film which was still very watchable but just mm. so wildly ambitious yeah. and failed on pretty much every single level um, called The Brothers Bloom mm. uh, and Looper is an intriguing prospect because it's uh, a time travel film about Hitman yeah. about Hitman who goes back in time and sees himself it's something like that Yeah. Um, but the one thing that really intrigues me about it if I can use the word intrigue any more times uh, talking about Looper is that uh, Shane Carruth the uh, director of uh, the brilliant but never followed up Primer, uh, one of the greatest time travel, mm. uh, low-budget time travel films ever. Wonderful um, and baffling film. Yes, he is um, working on the film in a mystery capacity. Mm. I think he's been doing some effects work yeah. or he's been doing some kind of uh, second unit stuff, I don't know. Um, but he's doing that, and I think that that film sounds like it could be very good. Uh, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, and Bruce Willis, I believe, yep. are the stars. Because obviously, Joseph Gordon-Levitt grows up to be Bruce Willis. Yes, <laughs> I, yes, I can definitely, definitely <laughs> see that. Um, but that film is—I think—that should be a, a, a rather interesting mm. piece of work. If you, if you see Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he shaves his head in Fifty Fifty, you just think Bruce Willis. Yeah, it's there are t- it's distracting, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> I am really looking forward to it because you know I think Brick's great. I think that's a really terrific debut and you know the brothers bloom got away from him but as you say it is still quite watchable yeah it uh, is uh, i can't quite put my finger on where brothers bloom goes wrong because mm. there's so many bits of it that are wrong but i can't think of anything that's bad yeah apart from robbie coltrane yeah 
Yeah, uh, but it's it's just uh, uh, like it, it's about elaborate cons, mm. and the film is so elaborate <laughs> that it just kind of collapses under its own weight, and yeah. it feels at times, I'm sorry to say, incredibly smug. Yeah, yeah, and kind of clever, clever. But but in the other bits, it's so bravado and daring that you know it's great. Um, are we uh, is there any more films you want to mention? Any particular one? Uh, I'm quite interested to see what happens with a film called Ted which is the debut feature from Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy. Oh, okay. A live action about a man who, as a child, wishes that his teddy bear will come to life. The teddy bear does come to life. And rapes him. No. Oh. But it is a dark comedy because the, the, the man then grows up and is trying to kind of move on whilst he's still got this foul-mouthed teddy bear following around everywhere. So it's kind of like Harvey... <laughs> but written by the guy from Family Guy. No, the guy from Family Guy. And I think. Are you a fan of Family Guy? I'm not a fan of Family um, Guy. I really liked it in its first three seasons. I thought that was pretty good. I do like American Dad quite a lot. I think that's an improvement because it, it doesn't rely on the cutaway structure, which right. is just the laziest fucking thing in the world <laughs> when it comes to writing on yeah. on an animated show. Um, but I, I'm, I just, I do like Seth MacFarlane a lot. I find him to be a very charming guy. He seems very intelligent. He mm-hmm. kind of seems to also think that Family Guy is shit. Right. But okay. that it's essentially what he uh, used to buy his house. You know, it's the sort of thing where he's kind of wrapped into it. And, you know, he didn't... He wasn't kind of pushing to bring Family Guy back. It was DVD sales, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, it happened. I think, you know, he, he's very, he seems very pragmatic about it. He's obviously got other interests, you know, including... Uh, I think he put out a Christmas album or something this year. You know, well. he's, he's he's got a guy with many interests, and your family guy just happens to be the thing that pays the bills. Uh, when's that? Out? That one is out in July, so it's a summer release. So I think it'd be interested. I'm always interested when because he's a quite a talented animator. You know, he, he started uh, as an actual animator before moving into writing, and, and voiceover obviously came about from that because it was the only way he could provide voices for his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it'd be interesting to see what he does with live action is he in it he's the voice of Ted but he's not oh, actually, okay. not as an actor right okay got things like The Bourne Legacy which I'm not holding up massive hopes for it's by Tony Gilroy who wrote the first three and directed Michael Clayton so he's oh I do like Michael he's Clayton a, he's, a, he's a solid hand to be behind it all but it just kind of feels like it just feels like one of those things where you think no Flog- one's flogging it at horse yeah a little uh, bit even if it does have Jeremy Renner as not Bourne because it's essentially yeah. it's a character who is like Jason Bourne existing in the same world but not Jason Bourne I would have liked to have seen um, Matt Damon come back after contract negotiations so they could have released a poster that just said stillborn because <laughs> I think that would have been rather apt uh, right okay now we're moving on um, uh, as I said the, the theme is the future and we've taken quite an in-depth look at uh, the future of film in 2012 yeah. Um, but yeah I mean in terms of uh, futuristic worlds um would you rather live in the Star Trek world or the Star Wars world? Oof. I think Star Trek seems to be the one with the better idea of uh, of humanity. Obviously, it's about humans as opposed to Star Trek, which is Star Wars, which is about humanoid aliens. Uh, oh God! <laughs> Just to make the distinction yes. very clear. But you know, I, d- I do like the idealism of the the Star Trek uh, world quite a lot because it's all about you know banding together for the betterhood, better betterment of man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Star Wars one would just be more fun because there's less directives. Yeah, <laughs> and there seems to be more to kind of explore. There's a, it's a bit more roguish. Yeah, it, it feels like the Wild West, whereas yeah. um, the Star Trek universe, well, the first Star Trek series, I guess, kind of feels a bit like the Wild West because they're boldly going 
Yeah. But like the later ones, it just kind of feels like um, sort of the colonial times where everyone's just really concerned of etiquette. Yeah. Uh, I do like that in some ways, but um, yeah, it seems like Star Wars would be more fun. In terms of uh, films that f- kind of uh, have a view on the future, um, I kind of really miss Paul Verhoeven because mm. um, he's really had a kind of uh, deeply satirical outsiders look, and I think I think Robocop was his first English language movie, and yeah, he had this real right. kind of outsider uh, look at a kind of American culture, and, mm. and um, Robocop is just full of these uh, kind of parodies of all these. All the adverts running through the film, um, playing on the kind of concerns of 80s America, yeah. uh, kind of high crime, uh, nuclear war, uh, and I kind of miss that kind of smart, kind of very tongue-in-cheek approach that he had, um, and it was sort of like in Starship Troopers, uh, he made uh, actually quite funny imperialist satire, yeah. but didn't tell anyone in the cast who play the whole Played film it so straight. like it's a deadly, deadly serious film mm. about giant bugs. Even when Doogie Howser turns up at the end dressed like a member of the SS. Yeah. Um, he, they, you know, they, you look like they were just like, oh, this is a funny costume I've got to wear. <laughs> I don't really understand what's happening here. And I yeah. still don't think Casper Van Dien understands it either. No, judging by the fact he returned for the third one. Did he? Yeah, he came back for that one. I think, uh, which... Surprisingly enough, isn't very satirical. It's very much a serious film in which people kill bugs. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't... He kind of plays it exactly the same way, <laughs> so you kind of get the feeling that he didn't quite understand what was going on. I like... Uh, that kind of leads me on to... Because I want to talk a little bit about um, about Alien as a as a vision of the future. Yeah. Um, what I really like about Alien, and it kind of uh, connects to Starship Troopers, is they're both very much sci-fi films shaped by the interests of their time because mm-hmm. um you know starship troopers is kind of about american imperialism in a lot you know obviously it's got fascism as the main point but it's i think uh, that very gung-ho attitude is of the, of the american military is definitely being satirized yeah. in um, starship troopers and alien feels like a post-watergate science fiction film mm-hmm. because it has, you know, it's all about some conspiracy about the ideas that the people that you think are working in your best interests are actually not. Yeah. They're actually <laughs> corrupt and, you know, don't value your life at all. And I do, I've always kind of felt that that's one of the things that's really very 70s about Alien, even though, you know, visually, visually in production style, it kind of feels very far beyond the period in which it was made because it was kind of looking towards what film was going to look like mm, the model work in that film yeah. is, is breathtaking it, the, like, in terms of its its concerns and in terms of you know the stuff that's going on in the background it's, it, it feels like a film that couldn't have existed before before it was made both technologically and sort of uh, thematically mm. I think that's a big part of it is the idea of it being conspiracy you see that a lot in those sort of 70s uh, movies you see in Sword and Green and Silent Running Silent Running um, but also another good example of a film. And the other thing I really like about um, about Alien is it's kind of a blue collar sci fi film. It is. You get to see the people working below deck. Yeah. Uh, Yafet Koto and and Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. And a hell of a combo. Even the uh, they should have done a sort of a, a Road Two style <laughs> of series of films featuring just those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, they die. Uh, yeah. Well, not just the actors. Bring oh. them back. <laughs> Bring them back as often as possible. Yeah. yeah. Make them the new. Uh, Matto and Lemon. Yeah. Um, I would genuinely love to see The Odd Couple remade <laughs> with Yafet Koto and Harry Dean Stanton. If you don't want to see that, you're not human. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I think the uh, the thing that's really interesting about that is also, th- with the exception of the cyborg that's tri- the android or whatever that tries to kill a Sigourney Weaver, then no one is kind of a scientist or anything on that ship. They're all technicians and they're all kind of people who are just well, trying they, to get they, there. Are they miners? Is yeah. that what they're doing? They they, they kind of uh, interstellar miners. Yeah. So they they're not scientists. They're not kind of the sort of characters you usually see in science fiction from flying ships. It's this like this vision of a future in which uh, interstellar travel is mundane mm-hmm. and is just something that, you know, you hire people get trained up in how to do it. They're like bus drivers, you know, yeah. or, or people who work on freight ships. You know, they're, they're not idiots. They're not dumb, but they're not, you know... Uh, they're just there to do a job. They're just there to do their they're job. They're not kind of exploring deep space yeah. or, you know, they're not astronauts. Yeah, exactly. And you don't see that in... in and science it's not, fiction it's not made a big deal of either, is it? No, in, it's in not. They, they complain about their paychecks and yeah. bitch about raises and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and they have those wonderful scenes of them just sat around the table eating and just kind of giving each other shit and everything, which yeah. is exactly the sort of thing you'd just imagine on you know, a trawler or something that's been out to sea for four months or whatever. Exactly. Do you think that um, uh, aliens expanded the world sufficiently um, beyond alien? Because um, obviously we've got a, a big... Uh, touchstone this year is Prometheus, mm. which is coming out. Um, the Ridley Scott, uh, he denied it was a prequel or anything to do with Alien, but yeah. from the trailer, it's very clear it does have a lot to do with Alien because it mm. features not only the same planet, uh, but the same ship and uh, race that were flying the ship in the mm. original Alien. Um, and the the trailer goes to great length to evoke Alien in every kind of way. Including the way the, the title, title reveal yeah and, and the music is very much uh, there so he was just being a twat i think uh, and trying to dodge the question yeah um but that's coming out this year and i think uh my uh concern is that the i don't need to see another film set in that world and yeah. i think that a prequel is uh, if i find out who built the aliens because of that uh, that's kind of where it's going or the origin who cares I don't really care about the origin mm. of the aliens the, the thing about the aliens that worked was that uh, they were just relentless and I didn't want to know where they came from I didn't want to know what they wanted I didn't want to know anything they just wanted to eat you yeah exactly I think that's the thing that aliens kind of does well is it expands it you know there's more of the xenomorphs running around and everything mm-hmm. like that but it doesn't you know uh, unlike say alien resurrection which completely you know gives them motivation and everything by allowing the alien queen to speak through uh, someone yeah. essentially they're just mindless killing machines and that's what's terrifying about them you can't really harness them or bug them. that's why the the company the um uh wayland yutani yutani that's why their efforts are just so kind of like flawed you can just see every time you encounter these things they are perfect killing machines yeah and there's nothing you can do to harness them or uh, try and tame them in any way because they're just violent and destructive. Mm. And that's that's one of the great things about that, that them as a creation is they're just uh, nothing but pure instinct. Yeah. What is uh, which do you prefer, Alien or Aliens? Uh, I used to prefer Aliens, but I think I prefer Alien now. Is that because it had more explosions in it? Uh, yeah, it? when I was younger, and that's what things just did. And also, but like when I started to become more uh, cine literate. Um, the thing I really liked about Aliens was how long it withholds the aliens actually being. 
because it's a good hour in before you actually see the. Yeah, it, it, I, I watched it again last year, and on I've got the the extended uh, cut, mm. which is actually still pretty good. Yeah, uh, I don't think it gives uh, it doesn't uh, slow it down too much, but it's uh, it's over an hour in that one, so it must be yeah. on the hour that they appear. The, the only thing I don't like about that director's cut is that they actually do have they show Newt's family being killed at the start, so yeah. you get a, a slight glimpse of the alien. I think that that get that diffuses a lot of the tension. It does. The, yeah. the, the tension for the whole first hour of Aliens is when are the aliens going to show up? Yeah. And it, that's what adds and I, kind I, of a fear to, you know, when they find all those uh, trackers for all the colonists and they walk in there and suddenly the aliens are everywhere. It's yeah, like, oh, I, I think in um, in contrast to the beginning and that kind of slow not seeing the aliens, mm. um, the last 20 minutes up to where they escape from the planet and then obviously there's a, a kind of coda on, mm. on back on the ship that is some of the most relentlessly tense action filmmaking I think I've ever seen which is why no matter what James Cameron does to fuck me off with blue people um, he'll always have the Terminator and Aliens which are two exemplary examples of uh, brilliant action cinema exactly he's a terrific action director he's just he's just effortless even you know the stupidity of Avatar can't make up for the fact that it's you know, that the action sequences in it are really well handled. Yeah, but know. I can't relate to them because they're giant all, blue all people. CGI. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested. But they are, you know, te- you know, just in terms of craft, he puts that that stuff together, you know, pretty effortlessly. He's got a very, it's a very uh, muscular type of action director that you don't quite see now much anymore because you get things like, you know, Michael Bay's whole thing is he just cuts so much that you can't really tell what's going on nothing yeah. has any weight the thing that really annoyed me about um, Dark of the Moon Transformers Dark of the Moon was the fact that it goes really long times when there aren't robots fighting and when the fights happen they're over in like seconds including the final fight between Megatron and Optimus Prime which is well, they ki- taunt each other then he jams an axe in his yeah, head well he kills both of the baddies in about, about 30, 30, seconds. 30 seconds yeah just kills them both in and pulls their heads off. And it's like that's not what Action City Action City was about building tension and suspense, the use of space and time. Yeah. And that's not what he does. Whereas, you know, he, like James Cameron, he can do that just really well. And yeah. you, that that's kind of that's how you can tell when someone is a great action director and when someone's Michael Bay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also the problem that Michael Bay seems to side entirely with soulless machines, as evidenced by that horrible shot in Pearl Harbor, which follows a bomb, bomb, as if it's the coolest fucking thing in the world. Yeah, that's you've missed the point of that day. (laughs) You have misunderstood what Pearl Harbor was about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks to Ed, who's vacated the seat opposite, which has now been filled as if by magic by HopeFlies.com editor Adam Batty. Hello. Hiya. And uh, for one week only, (laughs) uh, front row reviews. Alex Rowland. Hey. As How Alex is new, I think he needs to do what we all did on our first podcast and Strip. describe what we look like. Describe <laughs> what we look like. That's what you have to do just to give the viewers at home some kind of um, okay. yeah, go on. visual cue. And can you describe me without mentioning the words homeless <laughs> yeah. and Viking? Viking? <laughs> yeah. That's ambitious. He <laughs> <laughs> aspires to look like a dead race. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, bringing this podcast back to the theme of the future which we've kind of wandered slightly off topic um, but I'd like to talk about the future of cinema <laughs> <laughs> I want to just kind of wrap it up with a with a brief look at the, f- the future of cinema 
Uh, it shouldn't take us too long to talk about this. Um, but w- where do you see uh, cinema going in the I'm, future? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I always am. I don't think that cinema is doomed, like a lot of people seem keen to sort of. Cineworld just had some rises, didn't they? They sold. Didn't we're yeah. talking about. We're talking about. There's more people now than in cinema rather than. No, I mean this is business. Like this is business. Um, I mean they're, 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 their profits have risen by one and a half percent. But their ticket prices went up by 11.5% last year, so that's kind of uh, not really a rise. In, I'm no economist, but if your prices go up by 11% and your profits only go up by 1%, mm-hmm. so not, not as many tickets have been sold. So yeah. that's, I'm, no, I'm no mathematician. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like where... I, 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 were you being more spiritual and philosophical about cinema? Yes. Literal? Uh, no, yeah, not like exhibition. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know where where are films going? I uh, think what trends are we seeing emerge? And uh, you know, I'm 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 kind of deeply, deeply worried. Well, I, I think we're at a peak. I think this year, 2012, is going to be a peak for 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 Cape films. You know, we all know how much you despise film. Or you you just don't do films with capes. Um, yeah. I th- but I think they're on the way out. But I mean, it's I it's think we're reaching saturation point with with comic book adaptations mm-hmm. um, I'm a massive fan of comic book adaptations I think that it, they have been done really well in the past like 10 years or so but I think I think Dark Knight Rises will signal the death now well I think the Avengers and the Dark Knight Rises it's the natural it's a bookend yeah it's I a natural yeah. but the, I mean is it just me or they'll just do Batman again but then I'm really they excited about are. the amazing Spider-Man yeah, but I mean, I don't. I what really bothers me about the Amazing Spider-Man is that it's ten years since we saw the origin story of Spider-Man, who is a character. Let's be honest, we all know a lot about, mm-hmm. and his origin, bitten by radioactive spider, is fairly well kind of known. Um, do we need ten years later, after we've already seen that once, to see it exactly the same again for no other reason than to make more money? Yeah, but do we need any blockbuster cinema? You know, it's not about. I don't think it's the, I don't think the only reasons to make money. You know, I mean, really? different co- different companies have. I know it's the same company, but different. You, know, you have theatre companies, and they'll put a different take on Hamlet or a different take on King Lear. Are you saying that Spider Man is Hamlet? I think it's more relevant to a modern audience. I think this, you can have a different film told in a different way, a different story told in a different film told in a different way, and still be interested by it. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm with. But ev- every ten years. Yeah. Why yeah. not? They, they do. They do. They do the that. Tempest every year differently in theatres, and we all flock to see it. Yeah, but you don't tend to go. The same theatre won't do it repeatedly. Oh, but will, the, will the same theatre put Hamlet on within ten years? I mean, I'm not a down on my theatre. Um, well, they try not to do it in ten years. They they go through a cycle, don't they? But it's we're talking about uh, the scope to do Hamlet uh, traditionally. The scope to do Hamlet set in a nuclear apocalypse. This Spider Man is not set in a nuclear apocalypse. No, no, but it's, it's exactly the same film. It's not though, is it? It is actually significantly different, yeah. to be fair. Um, but well, I mean, that's we don't really want to go into it too much. But I, I, I would rather see a new Batman in three years' time that had nothing to do with Christopher Nolan's film that started back at the beginning. Not necessarily. I don't think it necessarily has to start at the beginning. I, I'm all for like the James Bond approach, where you could just start halfway through a new mission. But you know, I, I'm all for it rather than seeing somebody sort of attempt to continue. Um, Nolan's vision of that character. I'd rather see it rebooted. 
And I, I think I'm, that because I think Spider Man Spider Man Three was exactly a, a, it ran it itself was, into it was, the ground. It was a bit of a balls up. I mean, it's. A, I, but I, don't you see that's where any reboot will go? You'll have a good one, and well, it'll yeah. be it'll be re re-energized and then they'll do a sequel because that was successful, and then the third one will you know be right, well, and then we we'll just start again. It's just maybe, but cycle. I like the first one. Exactly, and Batman is as good a advert as anything for it. You know, we had we had a, a successful reboot there, and Star Trek. You know, I think comic book characters are eternally fascinating and interesting because they're, you know, as they always have been, you know, like morally incorruptible and like the golden age of characters, that kind of thing. And mm. we're naturally fascinated by them, and I'm naturally fascinated by Peter Parker as Spider Man. It's an interesting character. And Peter Parker is Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Ruin it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that story played again, and I will be happy to watch it again. Exactly, and there is the choice factor. You know, we're not starved of creative, artistically driven cinema in 2012. There's still plenty of that going on. You know, this year, for example, we could get a new Scorsese film in the shape of a documentary, but still a new Scorsese film, a new Paul Thomas Anderson film, a new Wes Anderson film, a new Terrence Malick film. You know. And that's to me, you know, we've got that side of the the, the argument as well. Yeah, um, but in terms of mainstream cinema, in terms of uh, what's holding sway, I mean, we did it uh, last time round. We read through the the top ten grossing films of the year, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was a, a, a thoroughly kind of depressing list. It is. And with cinemas, do you, do you think there's a danger in the future of uh, independent films, uh, more kind of artistically uh, interesting films? Uh, kind of being ghettoised uh, into home distribution because I've heard that argument. I've heard that argument for ten years. But I mean, yeah. with 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 the 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 three D element on top of it, kind of the three D elements. The three D is going away, though, isn't it? Three D is not going to be. Do you think three D is gone? I think three D is, is. I think The Hobbit will be its last sort of big film. I think that's that for three D. I don't think three D is. You know. Have they announced the about. second part two in three D? I imagine they're shooting, they're shooting both at the same time, aren't they? So but I mean, I think 3D's gone. 3D was the biggest ruse of like the modern sort of multiplex because it's just a, 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 an excuse to get digital screens in cinemas. I don't That's think like I don't even think the everyday consumer has fallen for 3D. That's the thing. Like, I don't think it's just you know people. Do you not think? I don't want to say people like us, but people that wouldn't necessarily enjoy 3D anyway because I fear that it's gimmicky and messing with the medium. But I don't think general population have fallen for 3D. No. Do you not think that given that, that people now are buying 3D TVs and... Who's buying 3D TVs? Well, just the fact that they're available and people are buying them. But 3D TVs, you know, I've got I a TV... Know. I know three people who've got 3D I, TVs. I have a TV that's got something called Motion Flow on it, which is the, like, the last big sort of pre-3D push. It was an attempt to make everything that looks old look HD right. on a television. That was a selling point at one point because people wanted HD TVs and HD whatever they were watching on it to look shiny and new like HD looks in the adverts the reality of the situation is that HD doesn't necessarily look shiny and new it can look it's a replication of the original source so when I was sort of buying my most recent TV the idea of motion flow didn't appeal to me at all you know I did that, that it makes me feel nauseous the fact that you're manipulating a director's intentions just to make a film look shiny but that is now on my television regardless of my choices, you know, it's there, it's just a feature and mm -hmm. I think that's what 3D will be I think 3D on televisions, I don't think people are buying a television because it's 3D, I think it's just there, you know, and how many times will they whip out their, their 50 quid a shot glasses to watch X Factor on a Saturday night or to watch News Night? Well I mean that, that's my, my thing is that it's not like Laserdisc, do you know what I mean, it's not like a, a kind of, uh, a, not a lot of people are doing it, I mean you can go to any pub and watch a football game projected in 3D 
Um, every channel's got a, every network's got a channel in 3D. They do, they do, they. I mean, BBC do, but ITV don't. Channel 4 don't have a 3D channel. No, Sky, but I mean, Sky, Sky, Sky have a Sky 3D channel. But Sky yeah. are, have invested a lot of money into 3D. They're not going to let it go easily. You know, they're going to encourage people to buy 3D. But how many people have Sky 3D? I don't, I don't know anybody who does. I mean, you say you know 3D, yeah, 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 3D, 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 3D televisions. You know, but how many people do you know? How many? How much of you? The whole people you know, like how much of a percentage is the free people that you know that have got? Free it doesn't even bother me if it's in the home entertainment yeah, section anyway, because that's just a that's a per person's personal choice. I don't. My issue is in the cinemas because then that's something that's completely imposed upon me. Mm-hmm. But it's and not even then, really, because like I, I saw Hugo um, in two D. I saw it in two D as well. I saw him I always on the yeah, opening day. Yeah, um, used to see it in two D. I, I chose to see it in three D because I want to respect the director's intentions with that film. When it's a filmmaker like Scorsese, that's a, a selling point to me. Yet when it's somebody like Michael Bay who's doing it after saying he would never film in three D, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for money. Or a film, a film like Clash of the Titans, I probably wouldn't see. But, uh, but you know, if I did, I'd choose yeah. to see in 2D. But I have seen really good 3D. Hugo's Takeshi, good in 3D. Takeshi Meek's Harry Carey is amazing. I mean, that's that improved the film, and, mm. I, and that's the only time I've ever thought that. And while I was watching it, I thought, if this is the way they're going to use it, I'm happy. Mm. But it's not. The, do you think that it's, the, the, it's the motivation? It's the intention of the artist. Do you think that in in the last a uh, couple of years I mean I was very suspicious deeply suspicious of 3D when it first came out but I mean in the last two years we've had uh, Scorsese do a 3D film um, Herzog's done a 3D film um, uh, Spielberg's done a 3D film and he said he'd never even shoot on digital and he's done a digital 3D film yeah, yeah, this year yeah. uh, do you think that that doesn't kind of maybe I mean because I'd love 3D to just disappear um, I really would um, but I, I'm I'm kind of I'm not so sure that it's on its way out as you guys. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that you've got to back up the Spielberg comments that he made earlier this year. That he's uh, after that, most recently, that he said he'd never make a film on digital again. Mm. Like he's. T- oh, did he? Did he say that? Yeah, he said it in November that he wouldn't. Because I took that to mean that he would never make a three D film again, right. which obviously it does because you've got to shoot a three D film on digital. Um, no, just they, they have to be done that way unless you post convert it unless you post convert it I shit. mean that's uh, exactly and I don't think Spielberg's the sort of director who would do that mm. you know and I think that Tintin was an interesting experiment from him um, I don't think Tintin was a Steven Spielberg picture in the same way that War Horse is I think it, that's that's more like the sort of accompanying piece I think Tintin's a great film um, Herzog again shot in 3D because of the financing calls for it you know I think that he was in, I think Herzog's the sort of filmmaker that would experiment with it as well Vin Vanders you know, and I think that their projects genuinely brought some. But Herzog shot in 2D and post-converted it into 3D. Right. Um, you know, I think you're ignoring the aspect that the studio will make a lot of demands as well. Yeah. That mm. the, the directors, we think of auteurs as being completely in control of their films, like Scorsese and Spielberg. But financing dem- demands and studios demand that they use a medium. Yeah. No, it's not. It's, so it's, it's a collaborative decision. It's not just a. Scorsese thinking I'm going to he may and have I, thought, I like I'm the idea I think film. Scorsese's film suited 3D really well I think that's what you know that's what that film is it's about discovery and I think Scorsese made the conscious effort to do that um, but I, I I don't I don't think that uh, he would have done it if he'd have been making a film like um, The Aviator I don't think he would have necessarily because I think that the one film that you might pull out in a minute to sort of try and rubbish our argument is the Basil Ehrman Gatsby, which was sort of the, the source of like a number of like memes on the internet and you know much joking about that being in 3D. Yeah, 
Um, but I, I, I've not seen any of that. It just it, it was such a strange film just yeah. to see the three D tag yeah. to, to make not not to do it and then release it and then oh it's in three D, yeah, but, but to say Great Gatsby. It's, it's Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. It's the man who made Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And, like, he's it, also he's obviously going to jump into the three D technology with as much gusto mm. as he can. Yeah, um, but I think he has something to bring to the medium. Um, I don't think that the average fifty million dollar sort of middle of the road Hollywood output film is going to be. Know, in 3D, I don't think the town is going to be in 3D. You know, mm. that sort of. Film, but I remember a world. quote from Scorsese. I don't know whether it's just because he'd announced Hugo or what, but he said that when *When Precious* came out, and he said that's exactly yeah, the kind yeah. of films you'd be in 3D. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I mean, if is he saying that because he's just signed on to do a film? Well, I think in 3D he's passionate or? about 3D. I don't think he, I don't. I think he's the least sort of cynical man in the world. I think that what I think what he says he means. You know, and he said that he wants to do his next film in 3D, and I'm happy to see, you know, the Snowman or or, or, or Silence, uh, the first, which is like he's a, a director that's obviously celebrating cinema, exactly. and he's celebrating cinema using I'm the I'm all for it. trick of cinema. I'm mm. all for it in his hands. You know, and if he decides to do it, I'm cool with it. I'm a little bit disappointed that he won't be making films on film anymore. But other than that, like that, that's my biggest war with the fact, you know, with with, with, with Scorsese using it. But it's when it's other filmmakers like Paul W. S. Anderson who makes a film in 3D so that he can advertise it as being in 3D. Mm-hmm. You know, and that guy's films, which are in 3D, all have the um, used like the ad, like the advertising role that they were made using the same system as Avatar. You know, yeah. and that's all pure to sort of like impress and to make money. And I'm, I'm not down with that at all. But when it's in the hands of a proper director who's doing it for the right reasons, you know, then do it you know I can still buy the film in 2D afterwards so why why do you guys think it's on its way out because I think that it's not going to be able to support itself anymore you know those figures that we're talking about Cineworld you know Cineworld um, 3D that tickets ticket sales must be down you know I mean I'm, like I say maybe I'm wrong mm-hmm. but those numbers don't add up and ticket sales are in- uh, there's, you know, they're selling more 2D than 3D ticket sales per I think was it Edwin that wrote an article Captain America wrote more sold so they're selling more 2D than 3D tickets yeah, Captain America was a big one, wasn't it? Because that sold more in 2D by a big, sh- uh, like yeah. a long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think people aren't. They're not. There's not. There's not the monetary money value. They're not getting value for money on the extra money they're paying for mm-hmm. 3D. How and much extra is it, by the way? Uh, three quid or yeah, something. Yeah, and on average, I mean, we've. You know, you expect something more. Mm. And Cineworld are also rolling out um, IMAX this year, which seems to be the big sort of fad at the moment. Well, IMAX. They're not real IMAX, but they're. IMAX Digital, which is this offshoot brand that IMAX have cynically launched, which is sort of halfway between a regular cinema and full IMAX, um, and that's what I think they're going to. The, the exhibitors are going to be making plenty of cash on that. I mean, they're charging like three quid extra a ticket for that. You know, so you'd be, I think you pay more for the fake IMAX at Cineworld in Edinburgh than you do for the real IMAX in Glasgow, which is right. Okay. You know, I mean, this, this is it's, it's on a tangent, but yeah, I think that that's probably more likely bigger and better sounds that's how that's how hollywood's always combated um it's it's any competition you know they've always just gone bigger you know yeah. I, I, i'd rather see that i'd rather see you know a 30 foot screen than a 20 foot screen in 3d but that's me but no i do genuinely think it is on its way out i think that there's no hype for it there's no excitement for it you know um nolan not shooting batman in 3d is it not no, no was the last one it's it's is it IMAX, right? Yeah. So, yeah, 50 minutes of it's in IMAX. Um, and then we've got stuff like the Avengers and stuff, which they haven't announced. Have they announced it's it in 3D? No, Avengers, they are doing 3D. Yeah, but they're not, shoot, they're not shooting yep. it in 3D, are they? I know that they're releasing it in 3D. Yeah, I yeah. haven't shot it in 3D. Mission Impossible 4 is not in 3D. No. 
and that would have been a big like that would have taken a lot especially with the average Abbey scene and stuff like well, that stuff like little things like sort of small scale blockbusters like Sherlock Holmes 2 wasn't even 3D yeah. you know and it was in the position to do so you know but I just don't think people are interested in it anymore I don't think the, the studios are but they've got their their victory out of the whole situation which was to uh, to have every cinema sort of be digitally equipped mm-hmm. you know which makes it better and that's the legacy longer. yeah that's, that's his legacy and that's his real reason but I guess we'll see you know we might be wrong but yeah yeah. I'm, I'm yet to see a 3D film where the 3D has added something other than a headache yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, I've only seen one and of, all, yeah, of all the films that I've seen it's not enough is it no it's not enough to say okay let's sacrifice everything for that one golden film that might come along mm. yeah yeah no and I don't think that audiences are stupid anymore well they are but I don't yeah. think they're that stupid well moving on from that and talking about stupid audiences um, uh, in preparation for the podcast um uh, there's something that's been uh, kind of worrying me about mainstream cinema, uh, and that uh, is that the blockbuster, the the effects-driven blockbuster, is now not about entertainment, which is kind of a worry that it's now about empty spectacle more than anything. And yeah. to illustrate that, I watched, and this is perhaps the, the the worst example to watch. I watched all three Transformers films back to back. Um, including parts two and three last night. It's a miracle night. that you're still alive. Yeah, um, um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, and, and we talked about it on the um, on the, the, the 2011 podcast that um, it's becoming a trend now for um, to make a film massively hype it so it's a massive event and then straight away as soon as that legal obligation to talk about it in a positive sense is passed, to then say, oh well, yeah, we dropped the ball on that one. It wasn't. It wasn't a very good film. The next one's yeah. going to be much better. Um, and it's almost as if they're just kind of just jumping up and down and shouting, "Look at this film!" Everyone goes to see it, and let's not beat around the bush. Uh, Transformers Three is the fourth most highest-grossing film of all time. Obviously, 3D kind of adds a lot to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, still, sure. it would be in the top ten. Um, and it's becoming distressing to me that so much so that I watched these three films last night and I got to the the kind of point where uh, and I'm prepared to argue this with you guys that I don't think they're films at all I don't think they're Transformers 3 and, and 2 in particular Transformers 1 I'll, I'll maybe cut a little bit of slack too um, they don't feature any elements that relate to filmmaking they're not they're not composed like films they're not structured like films it's just set piece, set piece, set piece. Even the dialogue between characters is—it's not even functional. Yeah. It's yeah. it's and th- I think this it's mo- an exposition. But it's not even it's not even functional exposition. It is just let's just get this scene out of the way so we can watch something explode. And they go deliberately out of the way in Transformers Three to 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 build up to the uh, to the action. So we have this kind of hour or half an hour of Sheila Burf looking for a job, which is the most confusing odd half an hour yeah. of cinema I think I've seen because it's they're not characters they're they're just kind of uh, um, kind of yeah and the, you don't relate to it whereas something like Jaws and this is maybe an unfair example to compare to Transformers Jaws is a special effects driven blockbuster but the characters are interesting the dialogue's good it's it's uh, written really well it's edited beautifully it's shot really well there's a shot in um, Jaws I think it lasts four minutes, and it's just a dialogue scene of two people. And when they cross the the ferry out to the island, the camera's stationary, and he's talking to the mayor for like four minutes. Now that now would be deemed like a kind of art house 
kind of bravado move to do. And but you get long shots in special effects films all the time. The, the last Star Wars prequel is a good example. But who cares? It's all computer generated. You can do anything you want. You make a whole film mm-hmm. that way. It doesn't matter. No one's impressed by that anymore. And I, I came away from watching these three films thinking that wasn't a film. It was an advert. For, it was it was a it was a two and a half hour advert that cost 195 million dollars plus probably another hundred million dollars on top to market. Now that would be a kind of one-off depressing case, but you know we're seeing more and more more and more. All of the top tens are filled with films that I would say that were quite rubbish. You know, like Pirates of the Caribbean four. Yeah, I don't think it's unusual. But we we three to be in there. We're getting now more and more films based on stuff that is so tenuous. Mm-hmm. Like it, Transformers, three films, billions, billions of revenue generated by a toy, and you know we're seeing fucking Battleship, the adaptation of Battleship this year. We've had the the Hockam Sockham robots uh, like last year. We've got Angry yeah. Birds, the fucking movie. I mean, I'm, can I jump in? I think I'm just going to say that you're. I think you're wrong in so many ways. <laughs> um, obviously, I I completely agree with you about the Transformers franchise. But I think that that is a one-off franchise. I think you're, people, I are, people I are using it as a placard to say that Blockbuster is dead. And, you know that it, Blockbuster I'm not is Blockbuster terrible. Is dead. I'm, I'm I think we've had some of the best Blockbusters we've ever had. One ever have this year. You know, Rise of Planet of the Apes, is very good. Super I, Eight I is such a great film. Super Eight's the one that transcends. I think Rise of the Apes is generic and bland and boring. But I don't think not Super, Super, Eight, Super Eight is not a tran- is not a franchise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's 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 a it's a it's a one-off. They they won't sequelize yeah, yeah, Super yeah, Eight. Yeah, yeah. But well, I, I don't think you know. I don't think franchises are an, necessarily an, a negative thing at all. I think it's developing a story. It's developing. I, a I'm world. all for giving anything a chance. I felt the first um, Pirates film, in spite of its dubious origins, was actually it. a great blockbuster. Yeah. Sequels ruined it. You know, I'm all for Battleship, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Peter Berg's an interesting director, mm. and I'm willing to see what he does with it. I don't care where the source material is. I care about the film. You know. But it, I think it's it's more of a coincidence. I don't want to see. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking rubbish. Like if somebody made a film based on Stretch Armstrong, which has been moved for a long time, you know, that that is kind of stretching things a little bit too thin. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I'm I'm I I I think I'm, I'm in agreement with you to an extent. I don't think we should write a film off before it exists. Basically, so yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I, what what the the trend of uh, it not being like you know in the old days. <laughs> in the good old days, uh, a blockbuster was a roller coaster ride. It was entertainment. It was I've got I've got no problem with films existing for entertainment, but I don't understand why now a lobotomy is required. Yeah, I think that the, it's them. not though. You're using Transformers as a as as to set you. You're he's not using Transformers. He's using the biggest blockbuster of 2000. Yeah, and a, make a problem with Transformers. Don't make a problem with. Blockbuster entertainment because I, really, I think they're separate things. But I really do think that the Dark Knight uh, and they, they are. I mean, how many blockbusters are made every year, and what percentage of exactly, them the stand up? That really are the exceptions. The Dark Knight. Is why can't why can't you know uh, the stand up? Name me another film that that you think is all spectacle, no Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. Titans okay. Clash. Titans or Clash. <laughs> what um, else has been released in the last year? Because there's a bunch of them. Green Green Lantern, which yeah. I quite enjoyed, but I think it was rubbish. You know, I think it is you know fluff. I don't want to see that sort of stuff dominating the cinema. But it's um, not. You know, it's not product driven. It is. It's to yeah, sell it comics is. and to sell action figures and to sell Burger King meals. Exactly. I mean, we've all seen. It doesn't exist because someone wants to make a great piece of art. So yeah. the person who wanted no, to make a great piece of art out of the Green Lantern or did it in a comic. Yeah. I, 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? But what else did we have last year? Because I think last year was actually quite a good year for blockbusters myself. I think that you know, Captain America was great. Four was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else did we have? Super Eight was great. Uh, with the the last Harry Potter. Film oh, Harry Potter's good. I'm, 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 no, I, I dis- dislike Harry Potter. Potter. No, I watched. I, I, <laughs> I finished the Harry Potter. Don't be ridiculous. You're, you're I just the generation dis- to to enjoy it. I'm afraid. I'm to too say. old to enjoy it now. Seriously, is that the defence you're going to throw out there? <laughs> if I'm too old no, to, if I'm too old to enjoy it. attachment. Why? I I do have an issue. I think that. I, especially with those films because you know what was it the eighth one by the end of it yeah, yeah. you know and it's like oh it's not well there were seven books so it's, it's, it's fair enough that they're at, okay no 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 I'm all for that I, I don't mind how many of them there were but I, I disagree with the idea that somebody tells me that oh you can't judge it blah 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 you've not seen the other films <laughs> you know which was I, so I, no, I've not seen the other films myself. you know Warner Brothers would still sell me a ticket so I can judge it. That's my attitude, you know. Mm. Unless it was some fan club or some super, super secret gang where you... And I'm not, buy, I'm not buying the generational thing, thing either. I couldn't disagree yeah. with you more. You can't go into the eighth film of the <laughs> Harry Potter franchise, not enjoy it and say, oh, I, I, I haven't seen the other ones. Like, you have to have no, the I have, connection. to be fair, seen the other ones. And I, I think there was one great moment in those films... Um, which is quite sad, really, considering what they're fifty-six hours long altogether, or later. What was it? Mm. The Snape, yeah, the Snape <laughs> revelation, okay. and I thought that was genuinely emotionally engaging. The rest, Daniel Radcliffe doesn't know how to hug people properly. Of course, yeah, it annoys yeah, me when he does that. And also, I just didn't buy, I didn't buy the whole wizard stuff. Mm. So unbelievable. No, I'm uh, kidding on that. I'm <laughs> kidding on that. But no, I just didn't. I didn't. I, I don't think with the, my my uh, some criticisms I levelled at the fir- at the last one, which I, I reviewed positively. Um, I uh, did admit, not. No, I did admit that <laughs> I, I was bored out of my head, but I did sort of take into account it wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and I, I sort of, so I couldn't be too harsh on it. But I, I was taken out, I was quoted out of context in the Telegraph about a negative comment I made, which was that the films should have been one film, the last two, because nothing happens in 7.1. Yeah. Nothing. They mm. walk around in the woods, you know, and um, that goblin dies. That's that, that's that, that's all that happens in the films. It's even more. Yeah, it's even more stretched out. You don't out. even know who Dobby is. <laughs> so you have no it's from Peep Show. <laughs> but no, I, I think that it's that was... crude anti-Semitic. <laughs> but that, that that film was completely unnecessary. That was made yeah, to agree, sell more course, tickets. Yeah. You know, you, you paid twice to see one film then. Haha, you're a schmuck. Um, no. But I... And I think that that was exploitative. And I think it left a sour taste because I think it sort of... It wasn't a gift to the fans. Mm. So they could spend more time with these people to sell more tickets and spend more time... 3Dizing the, the last one, which the 3D was shit, by the way. Um, I didn't see it. Yeah, I had to see it in 3D. Yeah, they wouldn't screen it to critics in 2D, you know, really? which is a, a real problem about 3D. But no, I, um, I, I just think I don't know. I'm going with this now. I've, I've got lost. Well, um, I, I think that um, my kind of rebuttal to Alex is that you know it, it may be you may think I'm being unfair and picking Transformers out in a year where there have been some kind of good blockbusters, but. Transformers. Some very good yeah, but I mean that's that, that that's that's odd. This year, Transformers is an anomaly. But no, it's I, for me it's an, an anomaly to have good blockbusters. Yeah, it is. I, I agree really with that is. completely. Name ten great blockbusters from the last ten years. Well, I'd have to I'd have to look. Yeah, at the but you should years. be able to name. And like top great, head. great, like uh, you know, held in high esteem twenty years later, not apologised for mm. weeks later by the star and director. That, yeah, but you that you're still. I, just using Transformers. No, that Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans was... Oh, yeah. Sam Worthington said, we messed up, we'll do better next time, honest. Uh, Sheila Booth did the exact same thing with Indiana Jones 4. Um, although did he? he yeah, did. recently. Yeah. Um, Sheila Booth just got an issue with apologising for stuff. Yeah, Because he thinks he's an incredible <laughs> actor when 
Who is it? David Cross did it about um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Chipmunks Free. Once, as soon as he got off of his contract, he was contractually obliged to appear in free films. As soon as he'd finished, he ripped it apart mm. publicly. Which it's not very professional, but at the same time, is it professional to Chipmunks. sell shit films to people? You know, I don't know. But it's, um, it's just I, I I honestly feel like now we're getting to the point where it's almost like the studio executives are taking the piss. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. really is like they, they. I mean, it's always been about making money. It always has. Doesn't matter whether it was you know Charlie Chaplin making the film or you know whoever or Zack Snyder, but it's it's um, now it feels like people are being mugged off. And if if 3D dies, that'll be the kind of you know people saying, well, we're not going to kind of have it anymore. We're not really that interested. But now it just seems that you know there, there really is little consideration. And someone like Steven Spielberg, who made Jaws, which I probably think is like one of the best films ever made um, is putting his name to Transformers yeah yeah yeah. which is which is so yeah. so 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 like disturbing and yeah. kind of depressing because that is just and he said I remember there was an interview with him a few weeks ago that said that Michael Bay's got a secret formula um, for the Transformers movies and like well, it's not really a secret it's shoot up someone's skirt and then blow something up it is so it's not what filmmaking is and it's not a film hmm. No, I'm, I'm in agreement. Yeah, I agree with you as well. But I don't agree that blockbusters are necessarily bad at the moment. Oh, no, I don't. But I, I think I said that it's just more and more are becoming empty spectacle rather than entertainment, which is. Uh, and when the Dark Knight. Uh, what's the last one called? Dark Knight Rises. Rises. Oh, no, the no, Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. Is that what called? The Dark Knight. I remember watching that and everyone was, you know, going, this is the best film ever made, etc., etc., etc. And I watched it and I just thought, yeah, it's just a good, it's just a good film. It's just a good blockbuster. That should no, be the exception. No, exactly. No, I, I, that should I, I, be I know the what you're saying because people said the same about Planet of the Apes. You know, they were so surprised it wasn't mediocre that they yeah. were like, "This is amazing." People's people's expectations yeah, are yeah. so low. I think that's good though, in a way, because I think that great films they really were, do people's shine. People's expectations for the Dark Knight were not low. No, no, but for no cinema for in general, cinema in general. Oh, okay. I mean, what did that come out around? Iron Man was a nice surprise that summer. That, but a nice surprise in the out. sense that exactly. it wasn't shit. Yeah, exactly. And that's you it. fully expect them to be rubbish. Yeah, that's it. We're going to films just expecting them to be terrible, and we're just really like. I think the fact that people pay to do for that, you know, people pay for that activity, is quite perverse. It's, it's quite disgusting in a way that people sort of go into a film expecting. That. I just find that quite an unusual thing. You go to expect shit, but anyway. Anyway, are we there now? So, film is dead. Um, long live film. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, so the future is, is bleak in one sense, but I think in I'm hopeful in other senses, especially uh, what we didn't get to talk about and we won't get to talk about is that British film I think has got a very bright future, judging from last year. I thought you talked about that with Ed earlier. Oh, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I watched the first hour of Weekend last night, mm-hmm. and then my disc cut out, unfortunately. Some pirate. Yeah. I did, it's not. It's from the studio. Pirate Bay as well. <laughs> it's from the studio. Yeah, but you gave me a copy. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's all we have for this episode, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, all we have. All we oh, have. Three hours. Yeah, three hours. Well, I'll cut this down to like fifteen minutes. I'll cut Alex out. Um, and yeah, uh, goodbye from all of us. Bye. Goodbye.